0: Uh, Welcome to The Solution. This is an AA Speaker Series meeting in which we discuss the 12 Steps of the Program of Recovery. For 12 weeks, we have a speaker sharing their experience, strength, and hope of the AA 12 Steps. Our speaker for this series is Mike Chase. Can we get a warm welcome? Just right into this, there's hardly any... Leading up to this, I'll just jump right in. I'll give Hi, you guys. next time. Another introduction, yeah, take your time. <laughs> Hi, a recovered alcoholic, my name is Mike Chase. Oh, Mike. Chase. My, and I am, I'm truly excited about tonight's um, message I'm going to bring, and also Step 9, because Step 9 is rock. There's so much to talk about, there's so much action to bring up, and then we get so much out of it. Um, last week you did Step 8, and I really had a difficult time. Staying within the confines of step eight Without sneaking into actual step nine Because let's face it, step eight We make a list We got our four-step inventory We sit down with our sponsor At least the way we do We sit down with our sponsor And we go through the resentments We, we determine should we be on a list Should they not be on a list Where on the list should they be So we go through resentments We come up with a few names and resentments We go through the fears We come up with a few names We put on our eight-step list On our fears Sex inventory Come up with a few names But it gets right down to it It's... it's an hour. You know, it's one hour. It's basically just look at this list and put names on it. So when somebody comes up to you and what step are you working? And they say, I'm working my eighth step. And I'm going, well, how long are you actually going to be working an eighth oh. step? <laughs> Seriously, it's like sit down with your sponsor, put the list together, become willing to follow the list and get into it. Now, the step nine, that's, that's one that's going to go on for as long as God allows it. You know, the quicker you get through it, the better. But you can't do step nine without having a step eight. And I'm going to start off with the benefits of step nine because in order to do something, because I was at a a speaker series once, and there's a guy who was talking about and he sort of rambled, was saying what the steps meant to him, and he said uh, step four was a lot of work, step five's a little embarrassing. Uh, step six and seven, he doesn't really understand it. And eight and nine, that's expensive. You know, it's just sort of there's a lot of effort that goes into this. It's a lot of financials and a lot of one-on-one meetings of people. So I'm going to jump right into the steps nine promises. Mind you, these aren't just from sitting at meetings not doing anything. These are a direct result of some action that we take, some character-building situations, some areas of believe an untreated alcoholic wouldn't do half of this stuff if we didn't have to. And a treated alcoholic knows that we need to. So I'm just going to read the nine-step promises, which we hear at every meeting. Um, there's nine-step promises. There's eight-step. You know, Every step pretty much has some promises. Um, the nine-step promises. If we're painstaking, somebody told me it's painstaking is the actual way to pronounce that because it's a difficult situation. Doing nine-step isn't supposed to be easy. It's an opportunity for us to develop some character, some... Uh, some working skills with other people. If we are pains about this phase of our dev- development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We'll not regret the past nor wish-, wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. These don't come as a direct result of not picking up and getting drunk or getting high. These don't come as a direct result of going to rehab for 30 days or a 90-day program of not drinking and going to meetings. This is a direct result of me getting through a lot of difficult situations that I'd rather not want to. And the book's got some amazing stuff on how to actually handle a ninth step. You know, we've got this list. And with my guys and the way we work is we attack it in columns. The first column is the nows. These are the ones that are relatively basic and easy to take care of. Financially, I can afford them. Emotionally, I I feel confident about them. Why am I doing it? It's the motive. And then we've got the soons, which are the ones that require a little bit of money. And I just got out of rehab. I'm living in a halfway house. I really can't walk up to somebody and say, Bob, you know, I owe you $850, and I don't have any money, but I'm going to pay you someday. So there's really no reason going up and doing something like that because he's just going to think you're just giving him more lies, you know, more stuff. And then we have the maybes. These are ones that I really don't know if I'm going to be capable of ever coming up with the money or trying to track these people down. And then we've got that other one that we have, the, the final column, the nevers. You know, these are people who were never, we believe will probably never be able to track down. These are people who probably passed on or possibly died, but there needs to be some res- resolution to the situation. And with the eight-step list, overdoing is becoming willing that if those situation arises and I track these people down... I need to do something about it. So we're getting into this actual nuts and bolts of eight and nine. We're sitting down with the sponsee. We're looking at these things. We we get the list. We put them out. And then we go back and we talk about them each individually. The the financial ones. How much money do you actually owe this person? Put down the amount of money. Figure out everybody that you owe money. And One thing that we like to do is start with the smallest ones first because we like to get a little, what do you call it, Uh, positive reinforcement and we like that instant gratification so if you owe somebody a little bit about the money and you go do that you start feeling the goodness you start feeling some some good about it um easy ones is like talking to family you know not going up to mom after 30 days of sobriety and you know coming through the steps and stuff and start promising all types of different things we got the living amends that we're going to start doing you're know, not so much directly talking to the parents so much of the stuff that we did but just start trying to take care of yourself, starting to be a better a, a better member of a family, you know, occasionally sending out a postcard or a card for somebody's birthday or just taking time to call somebody and check on them. And the book's got some amazing stuff that it covers. Most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors, telling them what we should do. We make no bones about drinking, they usually know it anyway whether we think so or not, we're not afraid of disclosing our alcoholism the theory that it may cause financial harms. A lot of us are going to come in with a lot of financial amends necessary, credit card companies, check, check, checking accounts from the banks, those type of things. Those are the kind of things that need to be taken. And what we also need to be able to take them when we can actually afford it, when it can be done. You don't go, Once again, you don't go to try to make amends to people when you have nothing to offer them. Uh, one of the guys that we talked about, he owed this guy a couple hundred dollars. So he goes to the guy and he says, listen, I know I owe you $500, a couple hundred dollars, ballpark, you know. I don't have that money today, but I have $50 in my pocket today. And for the next eight months, I'll give you $50 a month. Are you happy with that? And he says, well, I'd rather get the $500, but anything's better. So we just start a process. We start showing these people that we're making um, restitution to them. I also tell my guys to underpromise. You know, if you can tell the guy, I'm going to give you $20 a week for the next so many weeks, show up with $25. Give them a little bit more money so they start seeing some initiative. And also stick to it. This is where that teamwork of a sponsor working with their sponsee comes into play. You know, a little list. Check up on you guys. Keep, when you're working with you guys, keep on your sponsees. Where are they in their amends process? Don't let them fall behind. Because you walk up to somebody and you say, listen, I'm going to be giving you $25 a week for the next so many weeks. And then after four weeks, you just stop doing it again. Where's the, where's the credibility in you in that? So this is something we have to stay on top of. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go. We're able to, lie to dr- or liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. I kept driving crappy cars for the first years of sobriety because I was afraid to go out and get another car loan because I had such bad experience with car loans. I would sign up for loans and stuff, and I never paid them. I filed bankruptcy a couple of times, you know? And I was so fearful to get back into that owing money to people. But this time around, after a while, I got my credit rating back, and I actually got a car loan, and I'm and st- able to make the payments on that. And this is, I was not driving around a crappy car because I liked my crappy car. I was afraid of getting a loan because all my past history showed me that I wasn't going to pay it off, that I was going to get a repossessed one more time. But I'm sober. I've got God in my life. I'm working with newcomers. This is something I had to, this is a fear I had to go through. So it's not so much amends paying back to the, to, this is just an amends to myself that I deserve this and I can work with people like a normal person. I guess uh, there's some situations in my life where I got money that I shouldn't have gotten hold of and it really wasn't appropriate for me for legal reasons to go back and tell these people that this is what happened. My sponsors come up with some very good ways to get that money, which was never my money, back into society where it <clears throat> belongs. It's God's money. Put it into charities, making benefits. One of the things I did early on in recovery was help a bunch of newcomers early on. You know, if they were short of some rent and halfway, whenever I could have some extra money, that was my sponsor's way of helping me to make back, take back the things that I did wrong. Um, though the reparations take a number form, there are some general principles we find guiding reminding ourselves that we decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience. People in my life that I've damaged along the way, um, not so much in a financial way, but I've just treated inappropriately. Friends that I've wronged, that I've taken advantage of. You know, These are people I actually had to track down. One of, one of them in particular, I had to meet this person in public. You know, The situation was he had done harm to me and I had done harm to him. You know, one of those really great friendships that we get going into. And... Uh, I needed to clear my side of the street. You know, there was a lot of stuff on his side of the street. that was. But it's like, for me, I needed to be able to, like, move on from this. <clears throat> so we, we met in a park, out in the public, and we had this conversation. Today we're both good friends. We can actually carry on. He, I don't think he... You no, know, I didn't really clean up his side of the street, but that's that not the problem. You know? I cleaned up my side of the street. And I can see this person. I can talk to them and not feel shame, guilt, and remorse. Because the, if I don't go through these nine-step amends and start taking care of this stuff... I'm going to start building up walls against God again. And as soon as I start building up walls against God again, guess what happens? I want to start getting drunk. I need to start getting high because I'm not connected to God. Um, I've got some guys that I've worked with who are um, bartenders. There was this one guy who was working with this other guy for two or three years. And we're working through the steps, and he's got this bar, and he owns this, he owes this bar like two thousand five hundred dollars. He's figured, and he's just come across a nice big check from his, from his tax. So he's going he wants to go pay this guy who he's been working, working at, but ripping <coughs> off over so many years like two thousand dollars, and he's telling me that me and my partner used to work at this bar for years, and we've just been stealing him blind. And I figure I own twenty five hundred dollars. That's good, but he's gonna also put that other guy in Jeopardy, his, you know, his partner that he was bartending with, he can't really go up to the guy and say, Hey, listen, I worked for you for three years, and I've been stealing money behind your back, so here's $2,500. And the guy who owns the bar is probably going to say, Well, I'm glad you paid up. What about Fred, the guy you've been working with? See, we can't put other people at harm while we're passing this stuff on. So what he arranged to do was somebody that did not know who this guy was, he put the money into an envelope, Walked up to the bar owner when no one was looking and said, Here, this money's for you, don't ask any questions, and walked away. This way, he was actually able to get the money back to the bar owner, who, who was the rightly owned it, but he didn't implement or implicate anybody else in this situation. Because as we go through, you don't want to throw anybody else under the bus as we take care of these steps, this step nine of men's process. It um, says here, we thought we ought to be willing to do so, but we'd be jailed if we could provide. Nothing for his family. We're talking about different situations. You know, if if I I'm an alcoholic and ever since I was a little kid I used to have things on a report card that said if I only applied myself. If I only did if I only put as much effort into positive things as I did it as inappropriate things, I probably could be president of the United States right now. And if you're anything like me, we're good at that kind of stuff. We were good at conniving and manipulating. Well now that I've got God in my life, and there's this great story here, my favorite story in here, this one guy he had ripped off somebody by apparently the guy had given him money for a business deal, right? And he went around telling everybody he didn't give me the money for the business deal. So he knew that he needed to go somehow correct this wrong. Because the guy who he had slandered had lost his credibility in business. And this guy knew that if he was to go tell people that, you know, actually he did give me the money and I ripped him off and I apologize, chances are his business credibility is going to be ruined also. So in the thing about the amends and this whole eight, nine step process is, we want to heal the wrongs that we've done. But we also want to be able to continue on with life. And we want to make right that we did wrong. But we also want to be able to supply money for our family, supply money for ourselves, and live happily and joyous free. So what this guy did, instead of showing up to like, the Rotary Club and announcing in front of a bunch of business people, it's like, you know, I, I actually ripped this guy off and I apologize. The Rotary people are going to be sort of like, okay, you're a bum, I don't really want to have any business with you ever again. What this guy does, he decides to show up to church just after the sermon. Now, if anybody's been to church, people after the sermon are usually the most forgiving that you can be the whole week and very understanding. So he got up after the church. The story's in the book here. He got up right after the service and said, Listen, a few years back, Fred gave me $2,000 ballpark you know, for a business deal. And I, I, I told everybody he never gave it to me. And I ruined this man's career. That's not what really happened. He gave me the money. I lied, and I need to make right with that. So this guy was able to take, it, take the situation of having a bunch of people who were in the mood of being forgiving, correct that guy's reputation, and still be able to go on with his own life. He was able to keep his job, he was able to stay with his family, and he was able to make right the wrong that was happening. I stole a lot of money from my parents. And uh, when I got sober and I sat down and I had to do my one-on-one amends with mom and dad and talk to them about the things that I did and situations like that, and we started talking about the financial amends that I came up with, and I got the typical, I'm just glad you're sober. Don't worry about the money. It's not that big of a deal. I didn't get much growth out of that, you know. It was it was an opportunity for me to talk to my parents and, and say that I was wrong, but it wasn't a difficult situation for me. It, it wasn't. I started drinking when I was socially at six, drinking heavily at nine, alcoholically at ten, which meant I had the maturity maturity level like an eight or nine year old, right? And that's all because of a direct result of me not doing anything difficult. Anytime a situation that caused a little bit of character, I would lie, cheat, manipulate, and get out of it. I would get high or get drunk. And I really never was able to grow on a maturity level. I kept getting older, but I wasn't growing in maturity. So by me actually starting to go and make amends to people and make financial restitution to people. I was working at a bar called Zugi's, and I had stolen money from this guy who was a really nice guy, and I went to him, and I talked to him. I said, listen, I have been stealing money with you. What type of financial amends can I make? And this is one of those things where I was prepared to give him money. Luckily, he said I didn't have to do so. He was just glad also that I was sober and keep doing what I'm supposed to. But this is a situation where I had expected to have to come up with some financial plans. So for me to sit down and talk to this guy, that was something I would never have done. My character, what, My character building skills just went up just a little bit, you know? I was able to uh, see this man in the street and feel confident that I didn't feel bad about it. That's one of those things about the night step amends that I appreciate. There's a lot of situations that come up with people that I've just done wrong. You know, I didn't steal anything, but I wasn't honest with them. And I was disrespectful to them. And I just had to, there's this guy I work with. And uh, I had a, been very disrespectful at work and got him fired, you know. And I've been bumping into him at Home Depot. And the first time I saw him, it's like, hi, how's it going? He just walked right by me like I was dead. And it's like, wow, this, this is not comfortable, you know? Last week, I'm at Home Depot again, right? And he walks by me and it's like, hi. And I say his name. He just sort of gives me that look again, like, ah, oh, and just walks by me. And it's like, I need to talk to this guy, you know? This is somebody on my list that I need to take care of, you know? So I go to the checkout line. I'm in the checkout line. I'm checking out, and right across from me at the self-serve, there he is again, right in front of me, looking at me with that look of, like, I'm going to strangle you type look. I'm just sort of... And I made the point right there that I'm going to go, as soon as they're done checking out, I'm going to go have a conversation with this guy, right? I need to set right. I need to like, try and make this more comfortable. So I check out. I'm walking out of Home Depot. He almost ran me over. He was like so, he's still so pissed at me that for what the situation. I like, boom, the car runs by. He's no interest in talking to me. And the book talks about that, you know. Just because I feel it's necessary for me to go try and correct, correct, correct <clears throat> this wrong I made against this guy, he might not be ready. There might be something <clears throat> going on that he's not ready to take advantage of this. And it's not so much about me trying to correct everything wrong for me. It's like, what can I do for these people? You know, what's the purpose of this? What's my motive for this amend? You know, I want to be able to walk into Home Depot and see this guy again him and not feel like he's going to have a, a conflict. But he's not ready yet. And, I, and as soon as he almost ran me over, I remembered that part in the book. You know, some people are still... So I, I know in this particular situation, I need to be prepared when the time shows right, you know? I know I'm going to bump into him a few more times. And one of these times, it's going to be right for me to say, hey, listen, I was a total douchebag. You know? I disrespected you. I was inconsiderate. And I apologize. And he might be able to say, yeah, that's right, you were. And maybe we can go on. Or maybe he'll punch me. You know? well, we'll see what happens. But that's not the purpose of it. You know? So many times we think the purpose of this is so, so I can feel good about myself. It's part of it. But when it gets right down to it, we have to correct the wrongs that we've had other people. We got this whole part in the book about domestic situations. You know, it's like calling up old dates, calling up old girlfriends, calling up old boyfriends. You know, it's like, I need to go and make, I get this a lot. It's like, I need to call her up and sit down and have a conversation with her because I treated her wrong and I was disrespectful. And it's like, yeah, but she's got like a court order she doesn 't want anything to do with you, I know, but she 'll understand why because of, I it's like no, the amends for situations like that are just leave them alone if she did not want to see you she doesn 't want to see you. Be prepared in a situation that if she pops up out of nowhere in a conversation starts be willing to have some honest discussion about it. A lot of times people who I've you know been in, in contact with are completely not in relation to um, a resentment, a fear, a sexual harm, just people I've just ripped off, you know, people I've harmed, people I've treated disrespectfully. And that's where I just need to, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the situation arises, just say to them, say, listen, you deserve better. Talk to your, you know, if you've got old girlfriends and boyfriends out there, say, listen, I did you wrong, and you deserve better. It may not make me feel better, but that person who you're bringing that to may be able to walk a little bit higher you know, they'll feel a little bit better about themselves. Um, the last thing I wanted to do was, like, track people down who I've screwed up, you know? Step one, I'm an alcoholic. I can't control my disease, you know? I can't make a decision whether I'm gonna drink or not drink. I'm not gonna drink, but I drink anyways. Once I put it in me, I cannot stop drinking, you know. That was killing me. On top of that, I'd get drunk and do really stupid stuff and cause people more harm. Through the second step came to leave that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. <clears throat> I realized that there's a lot more than just putting down the bottle. There was a lot more than just not getting drunk or high anymore, you know. I tried that. It was completely unsuccessful in my way of life. I was a sober pirate for a while. You know, I was still lying, cheating, stealing, but I wasn't getting high. And that was causing me problems. Third step, I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood myself. For me, that meant I'm going to stop being a dirtbag. I'm going to stop hurting people. I'm going to stop living on life that I have to hurt people to live my life. Step four is where I figured out what kind of person I really was. I was a selfish, self-centered, inconsiderate, fear-based person who did whatever I needed to do to get whatever I needed I thought to have. And I damaged a lot of people in that process. People that had no reason to be damaged, but that's just the way it was. I could justify... I could rationalize because these people had done me something or I had done something. And it was, it, I was able to come up with an excuse to get away with all this behavior at one point in time. I've got God in my life because in step three, I've sort of made this process to start changing the way I was. The fourth step, I went into it with barely a relationship at all with God but every time I wrote something down on my book, every time I turned to God and asked me to get strength through the force, my relationship to God got better. I got closer to God. This isn't like a nine-step amends. I'm just like doing this for fun. I'm doing this because I need to do this. The fifth step, we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I'm not going to do that unless I really have to. You know? And I've learned up to this point that this fifth step that I'm talking to my sponsor, finally, the truth is going to come out. For the first time in many years, the kind of person I was was actually going to be discussed with another person. I was going to have this guy who's sitting next to me or across from me knowing exactly everything that I've done. There is no more secrets. This guy knew everybody I ripped off. This is the guy who knew everybody I took advantage of. This is the guy who knew me like nobody's supposed to know us. But I let this guy into my life, right? Six and seven, I realized that every time I tried to not be a thief, it worked until I wanted something and I was a thief again. Or if I tried not to lie, it worked as long as I didn't have to lie. And at six and seven, I once again was given that opportunity to like just turn it over to God. July twenty fifth, two 2006, I knew for that moment that there was nothing I was going to do I was going to drink myself to death I was going to end up actually killing myself again because it was just and I dropped to my knees and asked God with all the sincerity to help me to give me the strength to get sober right that next day I wake up and I go to my home group and I stand up in the middle of the room I'm throwing F-bombs all over the place I can't get sober you're telling me not to drink between meetings and it's not working there was some sincerity that I asked God to help me change and that's what allowed me to start on my path to sobriety six and seven i just looked at the kind of dirt bag i was and i also asked god with sincerity to help me to bring me to a better place to take these character defects which were like instantaneous and put them off as an option but something i hopefully won't have to turn to step seven that's where god took those things and made me whole again i'm no longer an. instead i like to say i wasn't an instantaneous dirt bag i was this you know occasional dirt bag if i wanted to be so I walked out with six and seven being fully connected to God. You know, My relationship with God was in a healing path. God was me, was, I was with God and God was with me. My problem was that there's still a lot of people out there that I owed amends to, people I've hurt and harmed that was going to cause me to feel restless, irritable, discontent. So we got that eighth step where I made those lists. You know, We're talking about that. I had this list of people I've harmed, but I didn't know how to do with it. Who should I talk to? How am I going to handle this? You know, I've got a sponsor. This is my teammate. This is the guy who's going to whine, help me wiggle through through my opportunities to help people. I also realize that there's some legal situations that I have to deal with. And my sponsor doesn't know diddly-do about law. And some of the guys in my family doesn't know anything about law. He tells me I need to talk to an attorney because this is, this is not... Let's just go throw myself at the, you know, at the mercy of the court because that doesn't work a lot of times. The main purpose of my amends is to correct my wrongs and yet continue on with my life. So with my legal situations, they set me up with an appropriate lawyer. Financial, taxes, you know, we talk to attorneys or accountants because we don't want to just be thrown under the bridge or under the bus. Mm-hmm. We want to come through this being able to continue on with our lives. So I got this the support system, which is my village of recovered people in my life that can tell me who to go to talk to these people. When it gets right down to it, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah, no. Mm-hmm. It costs my ego a lot of money because I go up to these people and I have to sit down and talk to them. I got to pay out of pocket to people who owe me money, you know. And I also got to go to people who really didn't understand what was going on with me. But here I'm telling them, point out blank. Listen, I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. And the reason that I stole this money is because I was drunk and I didn't know what I was doing or I was in the phenomenon of craving and I'll do whatever I have to do. And they're just sort of like looking at me like, Wow. No one's ever talked to me like this, you know. you got this opportunity to share a little bit. We don't use this as an opportunity to say, Oh, I found God and look at hallelujah, tambourine shaking and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> they may ask later, you different. What's up with you? There's something about you that's a little different. But we don't use this as an opportunity to like, you know, spread the message of AA or... You know, spread the message for my church, you know, get more people connected to God and stuff like that. That may come up, but that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because it's just the right thing to do. And I never did the right thing. I was. There's this story, when Charlie and Charlie talk about this, Joe was uh, going into a gas station and he gave the gal ten bucks. And he's walking out the door and she gave him change. And he's about halfway to his car and she gave him ten dollars Change for twenty, but he only gave him a ten. He's like, he's got this ten dollar bill. He's like, yeah, I've got some extra money, and all of a sudden it hits him. It's like, no. He turns around, and goes back to the cashier, and he says, "Listen, you gave me too much change. Here's your ten dollars back." And the gal goes, "Oh my God, I can't believe you did that. You know, I would have lost my job." And he says, "I know." That's why I'm doing this. I belong to this organization that requires us to be honest. And she says, I never heard of anything like that. (laughs) And he says, either had I. This is weird. Here's your money, you know. (laughs) The last thing I want to do is give away my money that I worked hard for. But then my sponsor told me, it's not my money anyway. Whose money is it? It's God's money. He's just lending it to me. They need to money. I don't want to give him money because he's on relapse. It's like, dude, it's his money. You know, I don't want to go... I had have, I have friends that this gal of Minneapolis I owed some money to. She was an active alcoholic. And I didn't want to give her money because it would be bad for her. It's like, dude, it's not even your money, he said. Go give her her money. Yeah. What she does with it is her business. You <laughs> owe her money, you do that. Um, which I found sort of interesting, but uh, got right down to it. Whose money was it? It was hers. Necessarily, I had to have her do that. So I, I, and that was one of the things I did. Um, there's that part in that final list that I talk about. The We have the, the nows, which are the easy ones, you know, that's going to your parents, that's going to your brothers and sisters and saying, you know, I, I could be a better brother and here's some money. Um, the, the, the soons are the ones that get a little bit of money, I can go pay those off. Uh, the maybes, it's like, Big money, but you'll find that when you take care of the nows, the soons sort of slide into the nows, and the maybes sort of slide into the soons, and the nevers move into the maybes. Now, for me, some of those, those, those nevers were people that had done me far more harm than I have done them. And there was still some resentment, but I still had to make some amends to these people, and we, I worked through those. The ones that I really thought were going to be difficult were the people who were dead. How am I supposed to go and take care of somebody who I can't talk to because they're dead and stuff like that? And uh, I used to have a home group, Wednesday night study group, and we used to have this amazing meditation where we actually would take care of amends to people who had passed on. Um, see i'm in the sunlight of the spirit now i'm in the fourth dimension i've through the process of the steps believe it or not i'm connected to God now you know i've got this relationship through prayer and meditation i'm talking I, I have this sixth sense you know I can spot people in the in the room and I can see they're hurting and some help um, what they taught me in this this meditation was for people who've passed on and I, I use this in other areas too um, there was this kid and Seventh grade, we had this, this thing that happened and uh, just hated each other, you know. And uh, about four years later, we sort of started to hang out a little bit. And then a week later, he died in a fire, you know. So he's never, it was one of those things I should have, like, dealt with in, in the past. And uh, what I did with this kid, this guy was, and uh, a few other people, <laughs> I go find some place that's very quiet and peaceful, by a park, by a lake, by the beach, you know, and get in some meditation, get really quiet. And then just have conversation with these folks, you know? Have a correct conversation with somebody who's passed on. Does it count? Does it work? What if, you know? I was always told, what if it does, you know, the spirit world? The fact of the matter is, it, it healed me. You know, I was able to feel like I had a conversation. I was able to put to rest something... They're dead, I don't know. But I've also learned that I can use that in conjunction with these amends of the people who are still living, you know? I can sort of, I like to call it, you know, grease in the skids a little bit, you know? Start putting out there in prayer and meditation, you know? It's like, I need to, in my prayer and meditation, have a little conversation with people I'm going to have to deal with. You know, that one guy, it's like, awesome, the guy from work. I need, I'm glad I'm speaking, that, I need to start offering that in my morning prayer. You know, offering a little conversation with this guy and you know, saying, it would certainly be nice. You know, I did you wrong and stuff like that. Maybe someday we might be able to like, have conversation. Maybe we can put this to rest between the two of us. It sounds really hokey and crazy, you know? But this is, this is a different level we're talking about here. This is a relationship with God. And you know, this is a spiritual program that we're in. So for me to have conversation and prayer with God... I should be able to have prayer and conversation with other people. You know, not direct one-on-one, but maybe just get the spiritual side of God helping me to get these things accomplished. So with my father, you know, I, I go to my father's grave every year and have a conversation with him, and I feel really good about it. You know, this is, this is me learning to get on with my life. This is me being able to handle situations. Because if I wasn't able to have conversations with these people, I would still be feeling very uncomfortable about <coughs> them. But I feel good about these things. Don't ever discredit the quality of meditation and prayer. You never know what it's going to do for us. Once again, we're talking about the the nine-step amends. We'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Halfway through for me was I've talked to my parents. I've talked to some people I owe money. I've made arrangements for people to make that money. And I'm not running there with a bunch of wad of money given to these people. I actually had to go with people and set up monthly, weekly payments for people. So I walk into it just thinking it's not going to be comfortable. And I walk out of it with a plan to carry on. And I I can't forget this important part about nine-step amends. I'm not going there alone anymore, am I? Through the process that I've been through right now, I've got God with me right now. Whoever saw that movie, my favorite bodyguard, you know? It's like there's this little weaselly guy and he's got this big, giant bodyguard behind him, you know? That's why I sort of look at it when I go to men's with people who are going to be difficult. It's not me and Ben. It's me, God, and Ben. And when I got God involved in the situation, it's going to work out great. So I'm halfway through my immense process. I'm building character, I'm actually able to walk down a lot of the streets feeling confident that I'm not going to be sideswiped by Ben who owes me that I owe money to or something like that, you know. I'm actually comfortable with my life and in my skills. Each of these each of these promises have a direct a direct a direct action that pays for it. Um, fear of economic insecurity. You know, I, I've I always just get hit with bills. You know, was like, oh, God, I forgot about that bill and stuff like that. You know, If I've been through in my men's process, I've gone and taken care of my bills. I've talked to my creditors. I've made payments. I've actually talked to creditors, and I've said that, yeah, I'm a recovered addict alcoholic. Can we work out a payment plan for this? And they say, absolutely. Because I learned somewhere that there's actually no place in credit history that says recovered addict alcoholic. You know, it's not like it's going to be on my credit rate. I go to buy a house. And it says, well, it told me that you were an addict alcoholic. So you can be honest with these folks. Now, mind you, some of the bills that I had owed weren't even with the same bank anymore. You know, some attorney firm, attorney firm, another attorney firm had bought it out. But it was still their money. I had to follow through with that. So, yeah, drop the attic bomb. You know, I'm in recovery, and I need to pay, and I need to make amends. What amends, what prices, what arrangement we come out work, can we work out? And you'll find that this stuff works out. You know, today I can walk anywhere with my head held high. I'm not going to get sideswiped by somebody. I'm not going to be, you know... Thrown into jail—that's a good one. Going in with those with those police warrants and stuff like that, I can go anywhere these days and not have to worry about getting thrown in jail. Trying to find those promises again. Fear of economic insecurity—it's like one thing I've learned. By paying back money of people that I owed, I'm a lot less likely to go borrow money I shouldn't have. You know, I'm not overextended anymore because I'm living in God's economy. I know that if it's supposed to be, it's going to be I should have. I shouldn't have to overextend myself to get the things I want today, which keeps me connected to God and keeps me from getting all squirrely by you know, trying to pay out bills I shouldn't have to do. Um, the relationship that I have with my family today... I'm not the go-to guy yet, you know. i still got a brother who's a doctor who the family goes to for the major problems and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't the guy that they ever considered for anything. You know, they, they, If I showed up at a family event, it would be like, oh, hide your wallets and purses type situation. <laughs> but now I show up and I'm part of the family. And this is a direct result of going to my brothers and my sisters and having conversations with them, you know. And a lot of times it was, wasn't even just... They just needed to vent what a schmuck I was, you know, how how, I disconnected myself from my family. So I'm having breakfast with my sister one day. I think this is going to be one of those easy amends. You know, it's like, well, I haven't been drinking for two years now, and I'm doing really good. And look at the amazing stuff I'm doing. And she ripped into me for a good half hour about the stuff I had been doing since I was, like, nine years old Mm -hmm. to the family. And it was just like, "Ah." they say, you know, have a... Have an emergency exit plan just in case those things get really out of control. Luckily, it didn't happen with her because she's a good sister. but um, I learned character. I learned the ability to uh, deal with the situation. you know instead of like running out of it like a scared little Sally, I sat there and I took it and I owned it, and I came out of it a better man, and our relationship is healed because of that. Um, when I was in uh, rehab in 1984. They were talking about this guy who just wanted to kill his stepson. just thought he was the biggest thief and it's like, that was me. You know, and, and, and my father, my stepfather days, my family is direct is my father. I <laughs> refer to him as my dad, you know, because the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has healed that relationship, you know. I would not have been able to do a good step eight and nine if I hadn't done six and seven if i went into if i went into steps eight and nine with all my character defects flaring you know my manipulations how can i how can i get out of this so maybe i can get some more money out of them in the future type thing i went into these amends raw and just open you know, it's like i'm wrong what can i do to correct this for you guys and sometimes i need a good bitch slapping from family members you know to, to remind me the kind of person i was um you're going to find when you guys start bringing people through the steps, there's going to be a lot of situations that you may not fully know how to handle, don't know how to give advice. And that's why we got villages. That's why we got other people in your support family. You know, don't, don't ever feel you have to know answers to everything. Feel free to ask somebody with time, how should I handle this? What should I do about this thing? Because you know? we don't want to put people in harm's ways. We just want to make this right so they can get on with their lives. Um, Cool thing about this, I'm now connected to God. I'm, I'm prayer meditation, eight and nine. I'm connected to the mankind again. You know, I'm no longer. And there's still some amends I need to make. The office guy and stuff like that. But it gets right down to it. I'm on square one. You know, Bill W is being told that he's going to be locked up or die. And Dr. Silky had just told his wife the exact same thing. What's the first thing that comes to Bill's mind? Is like damn, if I could just like, wake up tomorrow morning and have everything clear, you know, if I could just start over, if I could start, from, you know, start with a clean slate, the step process up to this is now gives me a clean slate. I can get on with my life. I, I know that I'm connected to God. I know I have a purpose. I can work with people. I know that I can go anywhere in this country and ride an elevator and not feel too uncomfortable unless that guy from work pops in. That's going to be sort of weird. But most of my amends are taken care of. And the ones that aren't taken care of, I need to finish because those are the ones that are going to make me uncomfortable. So I definitely have to track down my coworker one of these days and make this right when it's right for him. Um, the life I have today is a direct result of everything I've done in the steps four, five, six, seven, connected to God, feeling comfortable with myself, being happy in my own skin. And then eight and nine, feeling good about myself with mankind. I've made right a lot of my wrongs. Um, I'm a better man because of that. I was a spoiled, rotten, self-centered, inconsiderate, backstabbing little bitch for a long time. And today, because of that, you know I'm happy, joyous, and free, and I got a relationship with God. And I actually go to bed at night knowing I did something good for people today, which is a, a change that I've never thought I'd be have. So yeah, the steps work. If you guys have any questions on steps eight or nine, see me after the meeting. Thanks.